Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are guests this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you have come here this morning, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We want to invite you to a class that will follow this service. If you are looking at us as a possible church home, we'd like to let you know how to get connected. And that's the name of the class. It's for visitors. Get connected. And it is in room 303. And we would love for you to visit any of our classes that you would like to, but we want to give you a special invitation to that particular class. If you wouldn't be opening your Bibles to 1 Peter, and we're going to look at two different passages by way of introduction until we get back to the text that has just been read for us. 1 Peter, the first chapter, it'll be on about page 1,076 in your pew Bibles if you're studying out of the Bible that's in your pews. Are temptations good or bad? I'd like for you to think back as we begin this study this morning of maybe something this past week that was a trial or a temptation that you had to deal with and maybe you overcame it, maybe you didn't, maybe you look back though and you can't really see anything good about it. I'd like for us to take and study this morning what God would want us to understand about temptation. First, I need to consider the fact is he identifies those as good or bad, and then I need to identify what he reveals to us would be what we need to know about the way of escape. As you think about that, I'd like to remind you of something that uh, many of you will probably remember, at least parts of it from uh, more than a decade ago. In September 91, a most unusual experiment was conducted just north of Tucson, Arizona. There was a project that they called themselves Biosphere 2. You see, the idea of Earth being Biosphere 1, they would conduct an experiment to see if there could be a possibility of a lunar colony or maybe a colony on another Earth where there would literally be a self-sustaining environment underneath a canopy like we would think of as a greenhouse. They built 6,500 windows uncovering three acres, and there were many environments, many, M-I-N-I, environments within this three acres. There was a desert, a rainforest, uh, uh, an ocean, just agricultural area. And the design was these eight people would enter in in blue jumpsuits, and they would live for two years in this self-sustaining environment. And they did. They lived, as a matter of fact, for two years and 20 minutes. It was during this time that they lived after that. It's just they came out. And it, there were, of course, many interesting things that took place during this time. Uh, one of the things, as a side note, that some of them, refused to talk to each other after a while. I guess they grew tired of each other. But something else that really we can learn a life lesson from is as the trees grew in this, quote, perfect environment, after a while they began to break simply because of their own weight. You see, scientists, I guess, had thought that if we create a perfect environment, we do not need storms. We do not need any hard winds. And what they learned was that it was the wind, it was the strong winds that actually helped strengthen the wood in a tree so that it can withstand future storms. Friends, that is exactly what the Lord teaches us about trials and temptations. Now, we must overcome them if they are to work to our advantage. But if you and I will overcome them, they literally strengthen us so that we are stronger in our faith and more ready to endure or persevere through future trials. 
the two passages we'll read by introduction, we could spend the entire time on either one of them in a sermon, but let's just simply read them and note that simple teaching, and then let's go back to see how we're supposed to escape in a healthy fashion from times of temptation. We are in 1 Peter, and it's the first chapter, and verse 3 is talking about having a hope because the Lord has been resurrected from the dead. And in verse 4, he talks about heaven. It's an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. I love this word, reserved in heaven for you. Do you realize that God wants to have a reservation made for you in heaven? And then the whole question is, are we going to keep our reservation? Are we going to sit in the seat that God has reserved for us? He talks about salvation in verse 5, and now notice verse 6. In this, in this, what's the in this? He's just talked about heaven. He's talked about salvation. And now he's going to move into talking about trials. And so in the midst of this discussion of heaven, of salvation, of trials, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number one, the Lord would say, we need to find some measure of joy. He does identify the fact that in trials we will experience grief. It's not that everything about a trial should be a laughing experience or emotional thrill to Christians. That's not the picture he's painting. What he's saying in this time when we have grief in our life because the temptation is tough, because the trial is heavy, the challenge is high, he says during that time, I want to give you some things to rejoice about. You can always rejoice in this. You are having the opportunity to prove the genuineness of your faith. Do you realize when things are easy for us, of course it's important to be faithful, but that usually does not prove the genuineness of our faith. Our faith is proven whenever we are going through the toughest of times and we say, Lord, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to look for your way of escape. I'm going to remain faithful. And in that, the fire is what purifies gold. It is in that kind of fire, it is in that kind of testing that you and I literally become more pure. In other words, we become stronger. Now, again, I love the wording as he closes there in verse 7 when he says, Be found to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you realize Jesus Christ is coming back in the clouds? We'll be on this earth. There'll be a day that we'll hear the last trumpet sound. We will hear the shout of the Lord. We'll look up and we'll see him in the clouds. And the question is, where will you be found? Will you be found as an individual that's prepared to meet him? Lord, I've lived my life to your glory, to your honor, to your praise. Will we be found like that? Only if we have overcome trials and temptations will we be found in that way. I need to see, and I want to emphasize that again. If you've never thought about it this way, think about it in that way. Only if we've overcome those trials will we be found in that way. So, All right, I asked you just a few minutes ago to think about a temptation or trial you had last week. Now, what if you have that same temptation and trial this week? Will you then approach it and say, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to prove the genuineness of my faith. I'm thankful that I have the opportunity right now to grow stronger. And I'm thankful that I know I can overcome this by the grace of God and the strength of God, and I can be found faithful. 
Let's see a very similar teaching as we go over to the book of James. Look at James, the first chapter. Peter starts out his writings in 1 Peter in this way. James starts out his writings in James, the first chapter in this way. He immediately goes into it by verse 2. We're in James, the first chapter in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. See, we're back to that topic again. Are temptations good or bad? If you and I overcome them, they are good. In other words, it's going to work to our advantage that we have gone through this process. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. There's something we should know about this. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You see someone take their hands and they produce something and you say, if that man or that woman did not use their hands and their skill, this product would not be produced. What produces patience in our life? The Lord teaches that it's whenever you and I know that we can use this trial or this temptation to God's glory, we can then produce endurance or patience in our life. Notice as we read verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask a God who gives to all liberally without reproach and will be given to him. Do you want to be complete in your faith? Do you want to have an, a, a faith that is one of integrity? It's whole, it's complete. If so, we must go through trials. We must remain faithful through. That's the testing of the trial. We must remain faithful. And as we remain faithful, we have literally taken and we have produced endurance. You can't do it on your own. We need the wisdom of God. When's the last time you've prayed to God specifically? God, please give me wisdom to overcome this trial. Please give me wisdom to conquer this temptation. Friends, we must rely upon God. So temptations, are they good or bad? If you and I will look for the way of escape, temptations can be definitely used to our advantage. If you will, let's go back closer to our text. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Just one chapter earlier than the text of 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. As you're turning there, I want you to imagine that you have fallen into some kind of, uh, of a pit. Uh, you know, we think about the story of Joseph being placed down into a pit to be held until finally he was sold as a slave. I want you to imagine that you've fallen into some kind of pit and... You fall in there and you say, wow, it's really nice down here. It's all black. Looks like there's not a lot to do. I tell you what, I, I, I'm not going to look for a way out of here. I hope nobody finds me. I'd like to just be able to live down here for years and years and years. You probably can't imagine that because it doesn't make sense. All right, when you and I fall into the world, when we fall into temptation and we're overcome, and now we're in the depths of the world. Remember 1 John teaches us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You see, you and I, when we're in the world, if we can see through the lies of Satan, we should be able to have the same feeling that we would have if we were in a pit. It would not take us but just a few seconds in a pit before we would start saying, I wonder if there's a way to get out of here. I wonder what is the way up? What is the way out? Friends, 
as we begin going into this text this morning, I want you to note that everything we study will mean nothing if you're in love with the world. Nobody that is in love with the world looks for the way of escape. But whenever we love the Lord, we realize that as we are falling into temptation, we always want to find the escape so that we will not fall into the world. There are three things, beginning at 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter and 24, and reading down to the text that's been so capably read this morning, that God provides. He provides a prize that is worth looking for the escape to obtain. He provides an example to say, I want to show you some privileged people that they had everything they needed to succeed, but they didn't make it. And number three, he says, I will provide the escape every time. Let's look at that prize. It's the motivation. It's the reason why when we fall into the pit of sin that we look for a way of escape. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, let's begin reading at 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. Here we are in the midst of the Olympics, <clears throat> celebrating the fact that Phelps has won eight gold medals in one Olympics. It's an amazing feat. Why do you think he does that? Do you think he does it because of the worth of the medal? Do you think he's going to go back home and try to melt down that medal and, and that's going to make it worthwhile for all of the years of training and the sacrifice and the other competitions that he was a part of to be prepared for what he's accomplished? Why do we run? You know, it's interesting to think about the fact it's kind of a little bit disheartening when, if you've never heard it before. But did you know that a gold medal is really not a gold medal? It would cost too much. A 24-karat gold medal would cost $7,000. And you know, if a man or a woman gives their whole life training for an event, they train for it for decades, we couldn't possibly award them with something as significant as a $7,000 medal, now could we? Even though countries spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions on the Olympics, that would just be too much. So what they do is they take a silver medal and they put six grams of gold around it. And so here we have this metal that the worth is not really that significant in monetary value. But it is significant in that what has, an individual has given their life to achieve, they now have achieved it. The Lord says, I want you to run. You, you see in the Olympics, you see in competitions, individuals run because they know that that gold medal is only given to one. And he says, I want you to run giving your all. And I want you to see that at the end, there is a crown, there is a reward. And it's not just something that perishes. It is the reward that says you're at home. You're giving an eternal relationship with the Father in His eternal home. Now, how does that affect what we do? It's almost as if Paul walks into 
an area that would be similar to the Olympics. And look what he says in 26 as he begins talking about I. He uses a personal pronoun here and he says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself should become disqualified. Paul looks around to the people that are racing and we all know that it is a proven fact that those who race and look back lose time. And so he says, I know where my mark is. I keep my eyes on it and I run with certainty. He says, when it comes to boxing, how many individuals could win a match if they never landed a punch on the opponent? He says, no, I don't shout a box. I know my opponent and I land the punches. It's not flesh and blood, Ephesians 6. We have an enemy, 1 Peter 5 and 8. He's the devil. He's Satan and he walks about as a roaring lion. That verse begins by saying, be sober and be watchful. We have to know who the enemy is and we have to be ready to land the punches. And then going back to last Sunday's text where we studied in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, he literally, some of your translations are going to say that I beat my body. Another translation is going to say I buffet my body. Here he says, I discipline my body. It's difficult in a sense for us to render this, but the only reason it's difficult is because we struggle with the idea that God would say, you're going to have to punish your body sometime in order to be a faithful Christian. That's not very popular as we're translating scriptures today. The Greek literally, the word literally means here to hit underneath the eye. It literally means to blacken the eye. Back to last Sunday's text where Paul says, I carry the death of my Jesus in my body. When he says, I am delivered to death for the glory of God. That is literally the same sentiments here. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, I need to get this as he is working his way down to talk about the way of escape. The Lord always provides a way of escape, but he never promises that you'll get out of it without a body being persecuted. Or he never promises you'll get out of it alive. Have you ever thought about that as you study 1 Corinthians 10 and 13? Many individuals that have been devout, be thou faithful until death and I'll give thee a crown of life. Paul was faithful. 2 Timothy 4, he was faithful to the very point that they martyred him for his belief. So he found the way of escape but he did not come out of that way of escape alive physically, but he came out of it alive spiritually. God will always offer a way that is best for us spiritually. It may cost something. And then he says, I'm not going to preach something and then live something else. And so that's where he talks about at the end of this that he doesn't want to be disqualified. There is a prize. That prize is so great that whatever we're experiencing temptation-wise, it is worth it for us to say, I'm going to run, I'm going to fight, I'm going to discipline and even sacrifice my body and even my life if need be to obtain that prize. Now, he says, let me give you an example. If you have your Bible, look at the 10th chapter. In verses 1 through 4, he gives an example of the children of Israel. Notice how he continually uses the word all. He does that to build up so that he can finally come with, with the punchline in verse 5. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, passed through the sea. He's talking about when they came out of Egyptian bondage 
and they were being led to the wilderness, through the wilderness to their home in Canaan. But yet, remember, they lost faith. But they shouldn't have lost faith because notice all the things they had. They were, had the guidance through the cloud. They had the deliverance through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They had the leader that God provided. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. They all were, had the provisions that God gave them. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Jesus Christ. And Paul's there for just a moment. You see, they were privileged people. Think about Mount Juliet Church of Christ this morning. Oh, God has given us everything that we need here. He's given us the guidance we need. He's given us deliverance from temptation. We're not even oppressed right now. He's given us the, the leadership, the elders that we need. He has given us the provisions that we need. There's probably not anyone here hungry because you literally did not have any means to provide food. We are privileged people. Now, would we ever be overcome? Notice verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. All adults that refused to go into the land of Canaan to, to, uh, during the conquest, the conquering of it. Remember, their bodies were scattered. When he says most of them, uh, God, can you be a little more clear? How many of them really did not make it? Hmm. All on but two. Joshua and Caleb, they were the only ones. All of them had this guidance from God. All had the deliverance of God. All had the leader from God. All had the provisions of God. And only two made it. That's why we read in verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. That's why back in verse 11, Paul actually says, God gave us this example to admonish us. He gave us this example to say, hey, we better get this one right. Listen, just because my history of faith has perhaps been well blessed by God does not mean that in the future I will overcome temptation. That's what this whole paragraph is laid out about. So number one, I can find the way of escape if, according to verse 12, I will be humble and I'll be faithful. The prize is attainable. I just have to be humble and faithful. Number two, look at verse 13. No temptation has given you except such as common demand. Number two, he will never allow us to be unfairly targeted. In other words, if you're in the midst of a temptation and a trial and it seems to get the best of you every day and you're about to start throwing a pity party and saying nobody's ever gone through what I'm going through, look around for the way of escape and you'll see footprints on it because there have been a lot of other men and women that have struggled with what you're struggling with and they have overcome it because God will not allow Satan to target you with something that no one else has been targeted with. Jesus was on this earth. He was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. We see the great characters of faith. We don't only see their strengths. We see their weaknesses and their times of trial and how they overcame. Number three, we're not going to be overpowered or outnumbered. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Satan is not going to be allowed to gang up on us. Uh, we're studying through the book of Job right now in our daily Bible readings. You saw as you read through that how God controlled what Satan can do. Maybe all of us have begun running bathwater and we've left the room and then we forget and we run back and we see that it is about to overfill. We know there's two things we can do. We can stop the source of the water and we can pull the plug. God is in control. 
Satan does not have the power of God. God says, I want to make a promise to you. I'm faithful. I want to make a promise that at any time Satan is about to put too much on you than what you can stand, I'll stop the source. Any time that you're about to boil over, I will pull the plug. I can control to what degree you'll be tempted. Friends, James, the first chapter, tells us how we're overpowered. And it's not because of outside sources. He says it's because your desire, your desire has conceived with the temptation or been, in other words, enticed. I'm never going to be overcome because Satan brought more on me than I can stand. Number four, notice he does offer that way of escape. But with temptation, we'll make the way of escape. You know all those advertisements on TV where it says, and wait, there's more. Do you realize that every time, without exception, and it's not even a half a second later, every time Satan brings a temptation, at the very same time, God brings in a way of escape. Every time. There is no such thing as a temptation that you and I ever experience that there is not immediately a way of escape. I have to decide, do I love the sin, do I love the world, or do I love the Lord, and am I looking for that prize? Am I looking for that eternal reward to live with heaven, in heaven with God? But then notice the last thing as we close. He says that you may be able to bear it. Yes, He promises us that He won't remove temptation. Why? We've already studied that. Because we need it. It is what makes us strong, but the only way it'll make us strong is for us to literally bear it. For us to say, I am going to give my all. Is it going to be hard? Yes, sometimes it's going to be hard. Will I have to sacrifice? Yes, I always have to sacrifice. But it is a burden that I can bear, and as I bear this, I literally become stronger. My faith grows. I have endurance. I'm becoming complete, a person of spiritual integrity. I'm fulfilling my journey to that reservation in heaven. In the midst of all we just studied there in verse 10, he says, God is faithful. Isn't that beautiful? Now the question is, am I journeying with God faithfully? Please get this simple fact. We love to talk about a lot of time, this world's not my home, I'm just a passing through. If you and I aren't traveling the escape routes that God offers in time of temptation, we're not journeying with God. Journeying with God means we're looking for the way of escape. This morning, let's journey with God. Whatever temptations that God or that Satan places before us this week, let's look for God's way of escape. If you've never been baptized into Christ, you don't have the hopes of the things that we've studied this morning, but you can, and that's why we will extend this invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. He's inviting you to become His, a child of His, a brother of Jesus Christ. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, are you a believer? Are you willing to repent of sins and confess before men? Won't you do that this morning, knowing then that you have the strength of God in your life to overcome? You have a way of escape offered to you every time. Maybe you've become a child of God and somewhere along the way, you didn't take the path of escape that the Lord offered. 
Every one of us here can identify with that. If we're of accountable age, we've all done it. But the question is, have we stopped loving the world enough? Do we love the Lord enough that we say, I'm tired of it. I want to repent. I want to confess sins. I want to pray forgiveness. And I want to come through this way of escape back home. If that's your way of escape this morning that you need to travel, don't hesitate. If we can help you come as we stand, as we sing.